codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, Captains, joining us this evening is Jesse Heineg, staff content designer at Cryptic Studios. Thank you for joining us this evening. I know that you've been very, very busy. Always glad to drop by. We're glad to know that you have healed. Everything going okay? Uh, it's been a bit of a recovery for those who've heard of my ordeals, but I am back in the content seat and happy to be there. Good. We're glad to have you back. And, and again, thank you for joining us. We know you've been busy. So what we want to do this evening is run a featured episode, Cold Case. We'll be doing the Breen since this winter. Everybody will be able to get their hands on the new Breen ship for free during the winter event. Uh, so we figure it would be appropriate to do a featured episode from the Breen series. But before we do, I, I want to start by asking a couple of the basic questions about the featured episodes for those listeners and players who have not done these already. Sure. Can you talk to us a little bit about the genesis of the featured episodes, how they came about, the idea a little bit about it. The featured episodes stemmed from several impetus. We wanted, of course, to continue to add content to the game. So this was an opportunity to create and tell additional stories by giving players additional missions that they could play. The um, featured episodes also rose from an idea to bring in some of our own material and writing to put some of our own stamp on the Star Trek universe. The Deferi, of course, were created by Cryptic and approved by CBS as a species, and they feature prominently in the Breen story arc. So that was a, a nice opportunity for us to say, hey, okay, let's see what can we add to the Star Trek mythos? What do they look like? What do their cities look like? What is their society like? And give people this taste of something alien that is new to Star Trek, as opposed to the the many aliens that already populate the Star Trek universe, but are very familiar to everyone, like the Klingons and the Vulcans. The featured episodes also were an opportunity for us to try to emulate the show by having this once a week we're going to have a new release schedule. It was a very aggressive release schedule, the idea of, of for five weeks there's going to be a new episode every weekend. And the idea there was to, to create a sort of building excitement so that you could get drawn into this adventure or this story. And then as you continue to play, you see the pieces falling into place as this story arc plays out. And there's always a reason for you to come back and log in the next weekend as you're trying these things. And then, of course, we culminate the feature episodes generally with a special reward when the feature episodes are live or when they are on their special replay weekends, as they are now for the winter holiday event, which allows us the opportunity to give people some unusual thanks for participating in these special events. In this case, the Breen Bridge Officer that can be gained at the end of the series. Along the way, of course, you can also pick up certain other fun little trinkets to trick out your ship, like the Absolute Zero Breen ship set equipment as you're playing the missions leading up to the finale. And these have been confirmed that they will not affect the Breen ship, correct? They currently do not have any special effect on the Chelgret, but that is something that can always be changed in the future, subject to the systems team having time. Cool. So right now, no special bonuses on the Chelgret. Doesn't mean there never will be. But the Chelgret is a pretty amazing ship on its own right. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that you will agree. Yeah. 
the last thing that we wanted to do with the feature episodes was take the opportunity to showcase what we could do with the technology and to really see how can we push the boundaries of what's available with the game's engine and technology and find new and different things that can give players a, a different experience or showcase some aspect of Star Trek writing that perhaps needs the opportunity to shine. In Cold's case, in particular, there's a little bit of puzzle solving along the way, which is something that was not part of many of the early patrol mission designs. Of course, the early Star Trek patrol missions mostly concerned with uh, securing various sectors of space, but in Cold's case, we'll have the opportunity to try to puzzle out how to retrieve a specific piece of information by decoding the remnants of a, an ancient lost civilization's materials. Now, on average, from beginning to end, what is the time frame for a featured episode? How long does it take to make? That can vary depending on the nature of the episode. In general, building an entire feature episode from start to finish can take a subset of the team, I'd say the better part of two months. And the reason for that is that we have to have an environment artist who builds all of the new space maps and all of the new ground environments that are involved. You have to have a content designer who puts in all of the mission architecture, builds in any new special puzzles or encounters. If there's any type of new critters, this was the first appearance of the Breen, for instance, the systems team has to build all of the information for that critter group, their powers and how they function. And then any time that there's a new game mechanic or a mini game or some sort of new type of special behavior that the player can take advantage of, that has to be built by programmers and then implemented by the content and systems teams. So there's a lot of interlocking pieces. And along the way, of course, sometimes you'll run into hurdles that you didn't realize that you were going to have to solve in a particular way. And we occasionally have to get very creative. In the Breen episode, for instance, we had to create all kinds of new art in order to have the Deferi and their ships and the Breen and their ships and all of the powers for the Breen and the special types of cold attacks that they can use. And then there's the rewards that the players get. Those have to be built as well. The CRM 200 cold gun, the Breen bridge officer, all these things have to be created. And it's a fairly time-consuming process. It's not quite as simple as just going into the foundry and saying, I'm going to build a 45-minute long story-based mission, but using only existing assets. Well, why don't we go ahead and dive into Cold Case. Um, All right. I see that you are still on advanced, so it's a good thing that I brought some repair parts. Good grief. I forgot to change that. All right. (laughs) Let's go ahead. There we are. I should be getting my cutscene in a moment. You'll notice the opening cutscene when you first come into one of the missions in the Breen story arc, which shows your ship warping in with a nice little camera shot and the name of the episode overlaid on it, just like in a TV episode. And that was exactly the intent we wanted. We wanted it to feel like this is a little opening montage from an episode of Star Trek. And it was a very nice touch. I remember when I first saw it, it was really exciting just because it did. It felt like an episode of Star Trek. So here we are, uh, Farnook, as all right, Captain Lowry's sensors confirmed Deferi ambassador is suspicious. Uh, approach the planet. So we're outside of Deferi. Right. And previously in the series, you had already visited Deferi. Uh-huh. Uh, but now you're coming in from a side that's a bit more strewn with rubble. And you're trying to return to the planet's surface in order to gather clues from an ancient ruin that predates the Deferi civilization just outside of one of their cities. Beaming down. Now, I remember one of the most impressive and perhaps breathtaking scenes of the series was the actual city. You know, people were in awe about it. The ships flying about overhead. Can you comment a little bit about that, the development of that? 
I actually came onto the team just as the city was in the process of being built. So I, I can't say how long exactly it took to build. And that's probably a better question for an environment artist next time you have one of them on the show. I can say that it was definitely larger than many of the civilization scapes that we created. And many of those pieces, of course, were created whole cloth just for the city to give the Defera a unique look, which meant that an environment artist had to go in and build the piece from scratch and then put it into the map. Then it would be reviewed, and an environment artist's lead might say, oh, we need this piece to be moved, we need it to be taller, we need it to look like this. They have all of their artists speak about wanting to draw eye lines in particular directions, and then the content designers come in and screw everything up by putting in doors and creatures. One of the little side things we put on Defera, I'm not sure if it's still there, actually, is the Ferengi who will sell you various items. And as you've completed more missions, you get the opportunity to buy more things from him. So this bit here is a bit of a departure from our prior gameplay in Stowe, because instead of using a particular set of consoles or defeating a group of enemies, you head to this set of ruins at this old archaeological site, and then you have to, following the instructions from your bridge crew, figure out how to unlock the information that's contained in there. Now, is it hard to implement these new techniques, these pressure points, for instance? Well, every time that we try something new, the first time is difficult because there are always little unforeseen problems or pieces of code that are not exactly what we need, and thus we need a programmer to figure it out. Or sometimes it's just a matter of building the puzzle in a way that people are going to get what's going on and be able to figure out how to complete the puzzle. In this particular case, for instance, we had to have the artist build the cones of light that appear from the ground when you're standing in the correct areas. And then the content designer who was working on it had to go through and flag each of the tiles on the ground and say, when these combinations are on, this tile is active. When these combinations are on, it's not. And then build the mission to say, and if you use this tile when it's active, you can advance the mission. So let's see, where do we need to stand? So for this particular one, you have to command your bridge officers to go and stand on some of the appropriate locations. And this is also something that we had not really done before. You could always use your bridge officer commands in order to get them to go to particular places or attack creatures or stay passive. But this was the first time that we said, send your bridge officer over to do a particular thing in this fashion. Uh, we've got everything on. And I've got activate panel. Let's see what. Did I break it? No reaction. Nope, you just used the wrong panel is all. Okay, let me send my uh, one of my bridge officers over to this other location, and then I will activate this other panel. Let's see. Nope. And of course, there are five spots on the map where you can stand, but you have to activate panels while your bridge officers are standing on the other spots, which right. means you're uh, going to have to figure out the correct ones. You can't stand in all the places at once. And as we can see here, I just tried activating the panels while we have all four of the spots lit up, and that is not functioning. So we have to get the exactly correct ones, which our science officer says. I think you need to move your officer. Wait, nope. You've got your officer in the right spot there. I did? Okay. I think so. Of course, the clues in here ultimately lead to pointing an arrow shape by placing your officers on certain circles and then the cylinders of light illuminate them. And when the 
stances that they have are pointing an arrow in a particular direction, the puzzle is correct and it's time to activate the panel. There, we need to point east, then south, then southeast. So here, I've got this. There's east. And send your officer over to the northeastern platform. Well, I'm just gonna... Or you could stand on it, actually. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Not not that one, but uh, to the north. Looking. Oh, sorry. No problem. This is a particularly interesting puzzle, of course, if you're playing with a full team of players. Mm -hmm. And southeast means I need to send... Let's see. Mr. Hologram goes there. And Liberated Borg goes there. Oh, my Liberated Borg is being finicky about where she stands. So as I recall, the implementation of this puzzle initially actually took several days. And then, of course, there were several playthroughs and iterations where we tried to make sure that it was easily comprehensible to players and that they could have enough hints to figure it out without being completely obvious about it. Yeah, I do remember it being simple, but challenging. And I was able, I did this by myself, so I was able to figure it out with my bridge officer. So I remember it not being too over the top. Right. And and so every time that we do a new puzzle like this, it's just an opportunity for us to give players a, a new twist on the game and say, hey, here's something to use the noggin on today. Yeah, Whether yeah. it's this or the uh, isolinear chip puzzle or the new mini games like dilithium mining or radiation scanning and so on. All right, now All right, we can beam let's up. Beam up. The mini games uh, they do add a lot. It adds a new level that puts you away from the just the standard either shoot it or heal it or read it. It's it's nice. It's a very nice touch. Uh oh, incoming! All right, fighting. Let's do it. This we know how to do. Cut through the shields like butter. Well, I hear that cannons can do that when they're on rapid fire. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, took care of those fools. All right. On to the next system. All right. This Inga system. Now, why is it that, and I don't know if you can answer this, is there a particular reason why we can't hit go to the system and it'll just take us right there instead of uh, go actually, out back you, into the sector? Part of what we wanted to do, this was an, an early design decision of the gameplay, was that you would be going from system to system, and when you did that, we wanted you to actually fly through sector space. And you may recall that sometimes you will run into emergent missions, like Starbase 24. When you fly near Starbase 24, you get an alert message saying, Starbase 24 is under attack by Klingons. Please come and help. And so by having players go back into sector space and fly from place to place, they have the opportunity to sometimes stumble across these emergent missions or say, oh, there's a patrol in this sector. I have to remember to go back and do that later. Also, you will see other players flying around, and that helps to reinforce the social aspect of the gameplay. Now, Quantum Slipstream Drive. And uh, you may notice, of course, if you've played through all of the story missions, that we usually follow a format of starting with a space map and then moving to a ground map and then back to a space map in missions. And this is just one of our principles of mission flow. We want players to feel like they have made a logical progression from one step to the next to the next instead of making people jump in between locations. Let's continue, preserved for posterity, where we're looking for the next piece of an ancient star map that will lead us, hopefully, 
to an archive of secrets from a lost civilization and see if we can get there before the Breen do. Nobody likes those Breen. Or at least in the nick of time. It's like a typical Star Trek episode. Yes, just in the nick <laughs> of time. That sounds about right. Those Breenies are meanies. So is that ship. <laughs> Gotta get my it's autographs true. today. The, the Shellgret is a beast. A beast, I said. All right, so gaseous anomalies on the side of the planet. Investigate the gas. So, of course, part of the episode is pretty straightforward. We're taking a nice beauty shot through space around an unknown planet here and using that as an opportunity to have the player go and engage in a little bit of scientific scanning. Nothing involving too much heavy lifting. You may notice since Season 7 that the minimap now has a handy little arrow the form of the Starfleet Chevron pointing in the direction of your objective. Yes, nice touch, nice touch. So you can see, of course, some of the wrecked satellites around this planet. And again, that was new material that was created by the artists specifically for this series so that the Defera and other species would have their own unique appearance to those satellites. Now, the flow of missions. So, for instance, first we had the Breen, then it was Romulan, right? Right uh, it was there. Breen, then Davidian, Davidian then Romulan. Right. Is there a method to that madness? Is there a method to that flow? Typically, what will happen is that the lead content designer and the overall lead designer, Captain Gecko, Goat Shark, you should be familiar with them from the forums, will talk with the executive producer and the writer and say, okay, what is something that we really want to showcase in Star Trek that we haven't had an opportunity to really focus on yet? And out of that, or possibly out of a hanging thread that was from the series that will say, we want to see what happened with this particular thread and how can we wrap that up? And it's out of that kind of an impetus that these decisions are made. So, for instance, the latest feature series, the 2800, obviously came out of the dual impetus of saying, we want to say, what happened to those Jem'Hadar that vanished in the wormhole in Deep Space Nine? It's never addressed in the series. We don't know. So we get to decide and have the players participate in that decision. This also gave us the opportunity to explore more about the Jem'Hadar and the Dominion. We know that the Dominion surrendered after the Dominion War at the end of Deep Space Nine. But what does that really mean for the Alpha Quadrant and for the Federation? So this gives us the opportunity to answer those sorts of questions. Or better still, to let the players answer those sorts of questions in their own venue and say, well, this is what I would have done in reacting to that. And then as an added bonus, we often will look for where these sorts of episodes will give us an opportunity to build new technology or to revisit things in the game that we would like to make even better. So doing the 2800 afforded us the opportunity to build in EV suits because we said, well, if we're going to build the entire model of Deep Space Nine, we might as well have a spacewalk on the exterior. And that means that we have to build EV suits so you can go outside. And it also meant that we got the opportunity to have the artist go and do another pass on the Deep Space Nine art and give the station another critical eye and punch up how all of the interior looks and how all of the models are built so that it looks even better and even closer to how it did in the show. In the case of the Cold War series, it was partly our desire to add something to the Star Trek mythology in the form of the Deferi. Partly exploring an unanswered question, whatever happened with the preservers that we saw in the Next Generation episode, The Chase. Right. 
and partly out of our desire to introduce this mysterious race, the Breen, that we know are extremely dangerous from Deep Space Nine, but beyond that, very little is actually known about them. And so this gave us an opportunity to address all three of those, so it felt like a very strong opportunity as a, a contender for a featured series. Now, currently we just destroyed some asteroid bits to show a, a piece of a star chart. Is there anything yep. so far in this mechanic, anything additional that we've done that was added new? Uh, at the time this was introduced, no, this was actually pretty par for the course. The asteroid rubble that we destroyed are what are called destructible objects in the engine. And if you wonder when you've ever encountered destructible objects, you did it in the tutorial when you were blowing up the board devices that had been implanted all around the Federation ships as you were learning to shoot things. Of course, the artwork for the star map here was created especially for this episode as a custom piece. But this episode is sort of a breather, and... This is also part of how we like to do our design pacing. If we're going to introduce a new mechanic, we like to use this new mechanic once or twice and try to not overuse it excessively and then have an act in the mission that usually flows through normal gameplay that you have seen throughout the, the episode. So if you had any trouble stumbling through part of the new mechanic, this is going to be familiar and it's going to be comfortable and you can feel like, yes, I'm making progress. I know what I'm doing. This is something that I know how to do well. Same thing occurs in the 2800 Cutting the Cord, the final episode. You have this momentous spacewalk across the exterior of Deep Space Nine, and it's got all kinds of new game mechanics and cutscenes and whatnot, and it can be somewhat daunting, and players have to figure out how to do it. But then you get inside, and it's basically a matter of fighting your way past the Jem'Hadar to get to Ops in DS9, and that's familiar gameplay. So you want to intersperse things that are new with things that are familiar. If you have too much that's all new and, and all difficult, the complexity level can make it frustrating. And So we want to, to make it so that here's something new, and here's something familiar. Here's something new, and here's something familiar. And this is just as true in terms of using the intellectual property of the series as well. Here's a new species, the Defera, and here's something familiar, the Breen. The idea is, is basically to get a good blending of the two so that we can have things that are familiar parts of the Star Trek IP and familiar game mechanics, and then occasionally surprise people with, and here's something that you haven't seen before or that you've heard about but never encountered, and there's a new way of dealing with it. The uh, introduction of the Tholian encounter group recently did this sort of thing in a systems way because the Tholians have new behaviors and new ways of fighting you that you have to come to terms with, that you have to figure out how to defeat. So Tholians on the ground will try to flank your character and get around behind you, and you have to be ready to deal with that. And of course, their famous Tholian webs and walls are going to make things very difficult for your ship until you've learned how to address their particular suite of powers. I understand. I understand. Phew. I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> Talked more than James there. I understand. <laughs> uh, I may save that clip, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Onward right. to Mac. Onward. Now, you and, and I went and warped in separate directions, yet we're going to the same place. I'm taking the high road. You're taking the low road. <laughs> Another reason for going to all these different systems, of course, is that this means that players get the feeling that the game is actually situated in an actual part of space, that you keep seeing, here's where different systems are located, here's where they are with respect to one another, and you get an idea in your head of, this is the geography, if you will, the astrometrics of this sector. Right. And 
by having that sort of detail, it creates a, a more immersive feeling. It's the same as, say, running around the ring in Earth Space Dock when you're going from one location to another and seeing all of the places in Space Dock and becoming familiar with it instead of just saying, okay, transport me to the shipyard. Now transport me to the tailor. Now transport me to Club 47. And you would have the idea that all of these things are just disconnected locations. This gives the sensation to the player that they are actually situated into a place that could be actual space somewhere. One sector to rule them all? Uh-huh. <laughs> or one uh, one uh, map to rule them all? Oh my goodness, the programmers would probably shoot me um, <laughs> if I did something like that. So having a single sector block, of course, is one of those things that comes up on the forums from time to time. People say, make all of sector space one giant sector block. And the reality is that this is a technical hurdle. The ability to host every player in the game on one sector in in one server is just not there. And even if we set it up so that there are instances, of course, there are already instances, but we maximize it to 50 players or 75 players, that area of space is going to be so big, it doesn't matter if there's 75 players on the map. You're not going to see any of them. So one of the things that this buys us is, again, that creation of the feeling that you are actually in a social gameplay. You see other people doing things. And we've learned that in MMOs, there are a significant number of players who, even if they do all of the content alone, if they play single-player missions and they don't ever team with anyone except when doing raids, they still want the feeling that there are other people there. Right. So turning the entire sector into one sector block would make it feel pretty empty. It would really stress the ability of the servers to handle and push that much data all at once. It also means that arguably navigation might be a little more difficult because your list of systems would be immense. And how do you know where you're trying to go? Well, it's somewhere in the upper right central area, and it's one of 28 systems that starts with an A. By breaking things down into sector blocks, while that can be initially confusing as people have to figure out how to go from block to block, if I say, well, you want to go to this system that's in the Alpha Centauri block, you know immediately if you're in the wrong block. And then it's a matter of looking at the galaxy map and, and figuring out your route to get there, or right. just hitting the mission transport button. Okay, that makes that makes some sense. Some sense, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, because I, well, I guess my immediate reply to that would be, all right. So, what if you just remove the border, and so you, you the, the map still only shows you what the systems are in your current sector that you're in, but as you cross the border, the map updates to show you the new list. Yeah, that would require some UI programming time as well. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's impossible or that there's all these arguments against it, but there are good reasons for the way that the systems are laid out now, and there's also good things to be gained by having a single sector. So right now, realistically, we have what we have, and the programmers would have to spend a lot of time making changes, and then the content team would have to spend a lot of time making changes. Consider that in order for a mission to work, it has to know that you're entering a particular system from a particular sector block. If we put everything in the same sector block, we have to rebuild all of the missions entries and that is not only time consuming but it's the sort of thing that is prone to getting bugs in it and so while we could do it it is something that is a fearsome task it's not merely as simple as knocking down some walls with a hammer gotcha gotcha okay all right you know we want people to know that when these ideas come up and we say this would be very very difficult to do it's not just a bunch of guys sitting around a conference room going but that would be hard <laughs> there are legitimate technical reasons and time reasons that doing these things would be very difficult and there's also the question of opportunity cost what's the payoff versus having all of the content team and programmers that we're doing that making other things right right 
All right, so we have just warped into the Manic system. And again, this was new environment created for the mission, right? Yep, that is correct. And we are to engage the Breen. And we, this has one of the cracked planets on the map. And here come the Breen frigates. I'll take care of these Breenies. <laughs> Better you than me. <laughs> so the Breen series is pretty light on new things, of course, because it has the Breen, it has the Deferi, it has a whole bunch of new systems, an entire new sector block. But it doesn't have a lot of entirely new game mechanics aside from the puzzle that we solved earlier. Right. And that's because it was our first foray into doing featured series and seeing are people going to like this sort of thing and how far can we push it. And each time we did a feature series, we decided to push it a little bit further and a little bit further. And that's why you start seeing things like class-specific objectives and shifting doors and what have you as the uh, featured series continue. Now, one of the reasons that we had chosen to do the Breen featured episode rerun spotlight here was because, like I said, the Breen ship. I'm curious, yes. and I don't know if you can answer this. Why was the Breen ship released during the winter event and not added, let's say, for instance, to a featured episode rerun? Well, a lot of the featured episodes already have really good rewards, and there are enough rewards that in some cases you need to play them two or three times if you want to get everything. Like right. uh, in the 2800, if you want to have a Jem'Hadar officer who's fully equipped with the Jem'Hadar ground set weapons, armor, and shield, you're going to be playing a couple of those episodes two or three times. So there's generally not a big need for us to go back and retrofit new rewards onto featured episodes. Every once in a while, we'll come across an idea that's just too good to pass up, and we'll put that on there. But keep in mind as well that Stowe is a, a living game, and so we get new players from time to time, and oftentimes they're folks who haven't ever played these featured episodes and may not be aware of them. And also people are making new characters, and when you make a new character, if the featured episode is not currently in rerun, some of the best rewards are not available. So giving the rerun opportunity throughout winter is a great chance for people to have their new characters get some of these great rewards and new players to see that there's awesome rewards on these missions as well. And so we don't really feel the need to go back and put additional rewards on episodes that already have limited time rewards and really good set rewards. And instead, that can be rewards that we put on other new content that we're releasing, like the updates to Q's Winter Wonderland event or to whatever might be coming out in a particular period of time. If we do an update in the future to an anniversary event or some new featured series, obviously we want new and cool rewards. And every reward that we put on an old mission is something we can't put on a new mission. Right. Okay. Now, the winter event was all, if not mostly you, right? Uh, I did the updates to the winter event this year. Last year, the winter event map was done by Mr. Odds, one of our more recent acquisitions in the content department. And uh, parts of it were done by Goat Shark as well. This year, of course, we punched it up a little bit. We added a competitive race where multiple players can race against each other. We put in a snowball fight where the snowmen come to life through Q's power and they pelt you with snowballs and you have to defeat them with snowballs and snowball guns. Vorticus built most of the new rewards, the snowball guns uh, and things of that nature that you can purchase with holiday commodities. I built the new race and all of the encounters with the snowmen. Vorticus built the snowmen themselves. And of course, we had an environment artist who created the new gazebo area and shifted around part of the map so that we could fit in the competitive race. And there's little odds and ends here and there that get done by other people as well. Production has to turn the winter event back on and schedule how everything uh, hooks up. So it's not a, a simple, isolated task necessarily. But our goal was really just to punch it up a little bit 
give people a reason to come back to Q's Winter Wonderland. And then we wanted to give people something really great as sort of a holiday gift. And so we have the Breen Chelgret Cruiser, which was built by Captain Gecko, who is our lead designer and does the ships for the game. All of the, the ship systems, their console layouts, their stats, and so on. And that one, like you mentioned before, you can get for free if you log in and you play the single-player race for 25 days during the winter event. Once a day for 25 days and get 40 autographed Q photos. 40 Reso- autographed 8x10 glossies of Q each time you play. And when you've collected a 1,000 of them, you get a Chelgret warship. So it was that inspired by Vegas? Uh, I'm not sure what inspired that. That was Vorticus's idea, and you'd have to get him on the show to answer that question. He gets a weird little gleam in his eye whenever someone mentions it. All right. I'll have to find out. It's, I was curious. I was like, why? I want hmm, autographs. Interesting. Interesting. Are there any Easter eggs in the winter event that uh, anybody should be aware of that they haven't found yet? Well, of course, we've added several new accolades this year. There's three new accolades. You can get a uh, Fast and Flurious title and accolade by competing in the competitive race, the Fast and the Flurious, 20 times, or by getting the first place in the race. You can get the title and accolade Snowball Hero by participating in 20 different snowball fights. And you can participate in the snowball fights just by picking up snowballs that you'll find lying about on the ground and chucking them at snowmen when they come alive. And you can get the Snowshoe accolade by breeding a special winter Epo. And the Epos, of course, were the new cute little pets that appeared in the new Romulus zone with Season 7. And in the Winter Wonderland, you can win Winter Epo tags by participating in the competitive race. Then go back to the gazebo, and the the Romulan researcher there will let you run duty officer assignments that turn those into baby Winter Epos. And those come in three varieties. The White Snow Epo, the Candy Stripe Epo, which is white with red stripes, and the Pepo Mint, which is white with green stripes. And each of those has the chance to come in a special form, an evolved Epo, as you raise it, which can be either a snow Epo or a Pepo Mint with a bow on it or a candy striper with earmuffs. And if you get one of these special evolved forms of the holiday Epo, you get the special accolade entitled Snowshoe. So with the conclusion of this particular episode of the Cold War series, in Cold Case, you wind up beaming down to a frosty planet and confronting several Breen in a cavern complex where they have discovered the last piece of the star chart that you're trying to synthesize. You defeat a few of the Breen research groups, but it's too late. At just the time that you manage to figure out how to get the star chart available, the Breen beam down a bunch of reinforcements and they manage to steal a copy of the data, which means that it's now a race after you defeat that group of Breen to reach the location that the star chart shows and keep the Breen from acquiring whatever ancient knowledge they can from there, as detailed in the final episode of the series. It is exciting to see the new introductions, like, for instance, the new species, and then have that tie into canon, the preservers, the Breen. It's very exciting, and, and it, it really keeps people coming back. I think that's why people clamor so much for those featured episodes, because without a television series on the air... You know, when we get those featured episodes, it really feels like we're a part of the canon. We're getting that Trek lore that we always so desperately would want. But to wrap up a little bit, is there anything you can talk to us about what you're working on now? I know uh, you guys are in the holiday season and and the winter land is out and you're prepping up for. Right. uh, We're making a few little adjustments to the winter wonderland uh, in response to how players have been interacting with it. So the uh, snowball fights are going to be a little bit longer and we're fixing a couple of little bits here and there. Uh, And then after that, we're, of course, gearing up for what 2013 is going to have in store for us. And 
Uh, unfortunately, talking publicly about that sort of thing is above my pay grade, and those sorts of questions are really for stall. But I am at present building out some new maps that are going to involve some entirely new mission content that you will be, I'm sure, clamoring to try from scratch. But I am betting that after the new year, there will be some more information to be had once you start talking to Stahl and Captain Gecko. Nice. Very exciting. Well, Jesse, thank you so very much for uh, running the, the Breen featured episode. I know everybody's very excited about the Breen ship and the featured episode rerun for those people that haven't had the opportunity of picking up their special rewards. We look forward to the future. We look forward to the new missions at the Stahl STs that you've just spoken about, the new content. And thank you for all your hard work. And we're glad you're well and able to join us today. Thank you so much. I'm always glad to drop by Priority One. And I hope that you guys and all your listeners continue to enjoy the game. Indeed. All right. Safe travels. All right. Thank you. Transfer complete.